Welcome to Into Theology. We are in book 10 of Augustine's Confessions. Um, I'm joined with Ian Clary, and we're going to discuss or at least introduce these books today, um, or this book today, because book 10 is freakishly long. You and I both were like, we can't finish it. So well, we couldn't do justice to it. We need a two-hour yeah. long podcast just to try to deal with it. So it's possibly two or three parts. It's interesting. So this uh we're using the Loeb edition now. We kind of switched over, and it's roughly the same length as the first one, but it only has four books, right? Yeah. Because I, I actually flipped to it and was like, is there like a massive like apparatus at that? Nope, it's the whole thing all the way to the yeah, end. Yeah, like book 10 is roughly, yeah, book 10 is roughly half of this, wherever it ends. So we'll probably do this in maybe two, uh, two or three podcasts possibly. And then you're going to invite a friend who's maybe going to be able to like elucidate some of the more confusing philosophical stuff. Not necessarily confusing if you lived uh, in the late 300s <laughs> and these things are more familiar, but sure. confusing if you're not living in North Africa in 390 or whatever. Yeah. Or what well, he writes this in what is it? He writes this in the 400s actually, doesn't he? Can't remember. Okay, yeah, he's he's definitely a. I mean, he actually refers to being uh, a bishop. Like yeah, a bishop at this point too. Just so composed he's... in 397 circa. Yeah. There you so, go. so why don't you um? Oh, why don't you read that section from Book 10, Chapter yeah. Three, and then Section Three? I think it was right. Yeah. So in the, if you are, if you do have the lobe, it's on page 71. Uh, but yeah, book 10, 3, 3. Um, so he, he asks a very interesting question. Uh, he says, uh, what have I to do with other people that they hear my confessions as if they're going to cure all my weaknesses? Uh, they're all inquisitive to know about the lives of others, but lazy when it comes to amending their own, which I think is a very interesting observation that things don't change. Uh, why do they seek to hear from me who I am when they do not want to hear from you uh, who they are themselves. And when they hear from me personally about myself, how do they know whether I'm telling the truth since no one knows what motivates another person except for the spirit of that person within themselves. But if they hear about themselves from you, uh, they will not be able to say the Lord is lying. After all, what does hearing from you about themselves mean if not knowing themselves? Indeed, does anyone know and say it is not true without telling a lie? And because love, and this is an interesting emphasis here, believes all things, right? First Corinthians, this First Corinthians 13, at any rate, among those whom it unites and bonds to itself, I too, Lord, will therefore go on confessing to you so that others can hear. I cannot prove to them that I'm telling the truth, but as for those whose ears love has made open to me, uh, they believe me. Um, so very kind of interesting interplay that he's talking about here. He's got books one to nine. He's telling you a story. Uh, it's, he's tracing it, you know, from young man up to the garden in Milan, you know, you could argue there's an ascent of the soul towards God that he's going to talk about in book 10 here uh, that he's maybe picturing in the in the first nine books. Uh, and so he's given us all this information based upon like his recollections of it, and his memory. And so uh, now he's going this long philosophical treatise on the nature of memory in book 10. And so he um, he's he's trying to, in a way, sort of defend like the reliability of these recollections that he has of his life. And then like what the purpose of the book overall is, is to get other people to know God, right? He wants them to take a similar life journey that he went on uh, so that their souls then can finally unite with God as well. But he's doing it basically relying upon his own memory. And so the question will be, well, how come we can trust this? And so he's saying things like, well, there is this subjectivity. I'm telling you my story. How do you know if I'm lying? If, you're, if I'm being truthful, how do I know if my memory is reliable? And so then he's also going to kind of go outside of himself to something more objective, which is namely God, who's then going to witness to other people's spirits about the truthfulness of these sorts of things. 
And so some scholars will get kind of worked up, like should book 10 even, you know, should it have been included these latter books? Uh, I think at least book 10 is really deeply connected to the first nine. Uh, and well, Augustine think, says it is. Oh, in, in, his, uh, in his retractions, he says the first, the 10th books were written about me and the other three. So that's books 11, 12, 13 are written about the Holy Scriptures from what, from what is written in the beginning, God made heaven and earth up to the repose of the Sabbath. So Augustine seems to think that they're a unity, one to 10. Yeah. yeah. And you could argue it's scholars have that even the confessions itself is organized, at least those opening books, according to like seven days of creation and, uh, you know, the entering into the rest is kind of like that conversion experience and things like that. So uh, <clears throat> I just want to note something that I think just really interesting. So he, he cites first Corinthians 13, seven love believes all things not necessarily as a verse so other people should believe me i mean that's implied in the moment but as motivation to keep telling the truth because he knows it's right for people to believe well i think often like just when i think of that verse i'm I'm usually thinking well i should cite that verse to make sure that maybe myself or others are more believing or open to what people have to say but for him, like he could back away in fear because he realizes people will be mean or, or will will attack him. But he's like, no, because of what the Bible says, I need to speak. Yeah. And then he's trusting that those there'll be certain ears that will you know love the truth and obviously hear hear what's going on there. Yeah, also, and I, I like he, he it's like he makes uh, love here almost like something that's like an objective thing. Right. But because love believes all things at any rate among those whom it unites and bonds to itself right which is really cool uh the idea that so it's not like oh i have love it's just i'm actually being taken by love and being brought into like a bond with it um which is like, well unless you understand that i i think this entire chapter is inscrutable meaning augustine believes things are are really real that you don't see with your eyes mm-hmm. or don't touch with your hands or don't smell with your nose, but are still really real. And that's how his mind or his memory can access and contemplate and experience God. Yeah. It's just, just like a really, at a really basic level. Like if you're a Protestant at one level, you believe that there's something called sin, but you've never, you've seen the effects of sin. You've seen an action that you can describe as sinful, but no one's really, you've never seen sin. Like you never grab, oh, this is it. <laughs> I it feel is. the mock. It's there. Or if you believe in something like uh, original sin, you've never seen it. Well, believe it's real. Or you believe in something called the imputation of righteousness. Well, you might see its effects. You see the transformation in someone's life, but you, that imp- you don't see the imputation. It's just, it's, but it's real. It's more real than maybe other things. Yeah. I think because so, they're, they're, he's very concerned about the, the how to know the immaterial which right. is ultimately god right um and so obviously god is a divine substance but he's not something that's physically known by the senses which was what he had thought before when he was a manichae he thought god was actually you know physical had a body limited by space and time uh and those kinds of things now he realizes nope that's not the case the manichaeans are, are wrong and so now it's like well then how do you know like how can you come to know this god who is immaterial yet real and is knowable um and so how does the mind work like do we turn to physical things and do we use our five senses like do we use sense perception 
to be able to know God. And he goes through this like whole, in a very kind of almost poetic way. Uh, he, he, he kind of evaluates what, what his sense perception and created things are doing. The created things are saying, yeah, I'm not God. Uh, he created me and I'm going to point you to him. Um, but that's it. Um, they're not, they're not going to be sufficient in and of themselves to know that. Right. And he'll, he'll like throughout this chapter, the portions we read, he'll, he'll tie together the idea that the, the body and the mind are this irreducible whole, but they have proper functions. So the body is the medium of the five senses, for example, mm. it's just by the body. I mean, if you think about this, you have nerves, you have blood, you have little hairs on your, on your arm. That, that's what he's talking about. This is the ability just to feel the wind. Whatever your soul is, can't feel the wind directly, but actually the soul does experience the wind just mediated through the body. And you might read him and be like, because well, at one point he makes this point that he says, um, like, I think it's like four words in Latin. It's like the body is something, <laughs> the uh, the soul or the mind is something. Yeah. And you might think, well, he's really trying to pull these apart. But when you think about the guy who he's pretty explicitly interacting with, which is Plotinus, you, you see that, no, Augustine has a really strong place for the body. He's just using the common talk at the time that for us is unfamiliar and at least suggest, suggests in our mind a separation. I don't think Augustine has it. I think that's a mis, probably a misreading. I mean, he might have it more than we'd be comfortable with, but it's Maybe, a misreading but, to think that he has these two different things that are totally that, separate. Because that's the whole point that the next books uh you know 11 through 13 when he's talking about like the doctrine of creation and those kinds of things and in in the face of his previous manichaeism and the continued accusations that maybe he still is one is it no he's actually trying to affirm the goodness of the creation you know flying in the face of uh, platonic notions of a demiurge or whatever uh that that creates physical things that are bad he's saying no 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 god himself created the physical these things are good. Sense perception can tell you things and they're helpful. Seems like there's almost like a participation between soul and body in a way, like they're distinct, but they participate in one another, which is also a kind of platonic idea. Um, I love that though. Like his, where uh, in book 10, six, eight, uh, after he talks about, you know, he says, I love you, Lord, uh, not with uh, doubtful, but with sure awareness. You have struck my heart with your word and I've fallen in love with you, which is just so awesome. Uh, but then in the next paragraph, uh, so what is it that I love when I love you? Not the beauty of outward appearance, nor the splendor of time, not the fairness of light, and look how pleasing that is to our eyes, not the dulcet memories of, uh, of kinds of song, not the sweet scent of flowers and salves and perfumes, not manna and honey, not limbs which are fit for bodily embraces. It is not these things that I love when I love my God. And yet I love one particular, I love this unity. It's like divine simplicity kind of language here. Yet I love one particular light, one particular voice, one particular scent, one particular food, one particular embrace when I love my God, the light, voice, scent, food, embrace of my inner being. There something that no place can contain shines brightly before my soul. And there sound is heard that time does not carry away. And there scent is inhaled that no wind can disperse. Their taste is savored that greed cannot diminish. And there is an attachment that no surfeit can sunder. This is what I love when I love my God. It's like, wow, he's found those permanent things, right? Those things that he can actually latch onto that like his eros or desire has mm -hmm. been trying to be satiated by. Now he's actually finding them, not in the physical things. Those things point to the true God who actually then fulfills well, Even think of, of the, the pictures, like a sound you hear and it's gone. Yeah. A, a scent you smell and it 
it's away. The wind blows away. Yeah, it's all impermanent. It's all impermanent, but he's found something, and that's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It was a Psalm 103 where like the whole world and the universe kind of rolls up, but God is the same forever. Um, that's really it's like a really important part about Christian. I mean, a lot of times people think some of these theology things are a bit abstract, but like for most people living in a world that it's like you're moving every six months, new job, second side gig, someone gets cancer in your family. Everything is so impermanent and moving and shifting that to have God who's unable to change because he's the best of everything mm-hmm. is like so reliable and stable. It's like having that one friend who's always like just stable and is always yeah. your rock. Yeah. But that friend is the Lord. Yeah. I mean, really that's important. Yeah, that my wife and I were just talking about this. It's like we've got like four kids. Our oldest is just going to turn thirteen in a few weeks. Or thirteen, teenager. Like what? It's like yeah. how did that happen? I mean, I know it's so cliche to say, oh, like it goes by so fast, taking it all. But it's like it's absolutely true, and it's and it is. There's something sad about that continuous state of change. It's like I went back home when I was home in Canada. Uh, you know, I saw you for a little bit, but. Um, I was, I walked, I went to my old high school. I haven't been there in who knows how long. Oh, walk, what, walked, what city uh, is that? In Windsor. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I walked around my old high school and it was just <laughs> so weird to just kind of like, in a way, like with him in memory, right? I was just, it was like I was washing all these memories. Like it felt like a different world. Like I drove by my grand's old house and I was like looking in the backyard and just like picturing in my mind, like me and my cousins playing back there. And it's like, it's been sold. She's, she died a number of years mm-hmm. ago. And it, I, I, this is the only way I could describe it. I felt claustrophobic with right. time. Like time made me feel constrained. It's like, you know, if I say, oh, I just want to go get a coffee. I just walk across the street or wherever, go get my coffee, come back and I can do it. Like there's nothing necessarily preventing me from it. I can't in the same way, go through time backwards and then re-experience that feeling of sheer delight when I'm playing with my cousins in my back, my grand's backyard. And it, it was just so like, I hate this. Like, I want to go back. Not because I, not some for some cheap nostalgia. It was actually like stuck in time that way. It really bothered me for some strange reason. Well, I moment. think a lot of people like through, like you might hear a song or see a site and these feelings of nostalgia, this, this kind of like, it's almost like you're zapped back it could be good or bad. I, I've sometimes thought about like, you know, if, if, if I had to go back, to, like I have like a nightmare where like I have to go back to call, like my college for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, not that I didn't like my college, but like. You went to masters, like, didn't you? Uh, this Liberty. Oh, is Liberty. Okay. Yeah. Man, you are such a fundamentalist. I was dude. baptized in Jerry Falls Church and he hugged me afterwards. <laughs> That's like, awesome. I am. <laughs> I'm the more majority. Work for, you work for Johnny Mac. You want, and, work and I for did Johnny homeschooling Mac. curriculum that was like sourced out of like it was influenced heavily by the uh, like the Rush oh, Doonies and everything. Oh yeah, okay, dude. So I'm old. like in every category of fundamentalism. I'm like top tier man. I Look I won, but um, but just that kind of idea of like going backwards in life and not like advancing too. There's like a like a, it's almost like a terror in certain respects. It is. Yeah. So it is. Um, like so I, I've actually had like nightmares about that. You're like, oh, oh I'm not. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know. This is like, we're going far afield here, but this is like, a, it's just another weird thought. Like I don't get the same, I felt stressed out. Like I don't get the same sort of stress of like wanting to go forward into time. Like I don't, I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm not like chomping at the bit to see what my kids are like when they're 25. 
and what's happened like that it has no appeal to me to move forward through time but i want to go back i want to go back i want to see those people i can't see anymore i want to experience those things that brought me such delight it, it seems like in a way that's kind of what he's like thinking about here is he's recollecting his old whole life and you know um the na- the very nature of memory for him and, and what it well, and, is and for memory like we think of memory as merely the the recall the biological recall of the past augustine actually thinks he talks about memory like we talk about imagination yeah it's like forwards backwards recall it's this kind of nebulous faculty of organization and accepting like your sense whatever your sense perceptions gain yeah and it's really interesting so yeah but he does con i think he does contrast um plato who you taught on today i did um how did you know i just know things and i because i think plato would basically say that you 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 learn by by memory yeah Dustin agrees in a sense but he goes about an entirely different way yeah you can it's just weird to like be prepping and thinking about especially the meno dialogue by by plato um, and his whole theory of recollection, which is the notion that like you have an innate knowledge of all these things that are put right. into your mind by like the good or the form of the good or something like that. And uh, and that uh, really what teaching is doing is just remembering things you already knew kind of in stages. Um, but the idea is that it's all there. And it's it's got like this again, like we were just doing like kind of love having this kind of objective quality. They're in your mind. Like it's actually in the mind. And that's kind of what he's saying too, right? Like these memories are here. How come I could be laying in bed at night, pitch black, and I can think of blue and almost see it, even though I'm not seeing it with my eyes. Or I can lay there and smell coffee, but there's no coffee in the room. But I know what that smell is like from memory as if it's actually in my mind lodged in there somewhere. To be fair God does that too. God it's like this, that. the memory, yeah. the knowledge of God is now entered into the very memory itself. Two, two really quick notes. To be fair to Plato, if you hold two sticks that are the same length to anyone in the world, they're going to have some concept of evenness. Yeah. Like somehow they're just going to know they're the same length, like whoever they are. And that's yeah. somehow universal. But I just want to, there's, uh, if you go to uh, 10 and if you go to, well, it's, it's confusing section 10 of chapter six he says no. my inner self wait, book six wait book 10. book 10 sorry book 10 chapter six section okay i see it I got nine it. I got section it. Yeah, nine at the end right above section 10 actually oh we're talking about the my inner self yeah that kind of thing yep. yeah my inner self knew these things through the agency of my outer self yeah and so this is where i think that he's not platonic or neoplatonic because well he is in his but he, what he's trying to get is i think memory the things that you know are still accessed through the bodily senses before they're stored in that immaterial and infinite space of the mind yeah but what's interesting even with plato and i, I noted this today actually when i was looking at the theory of recollection the meno dialogue and i'd like to ask if, if we do get our friend my friend caleb coho on here he'd know way better than i would um but uh i'd be very curious to know or sorry i was very curious to note that uh, Plato is talking about all this stuff's in the mind. You need this teacher, right? Uh, that's going to draw this out. That's why Socrates refers to himself as a midwife of truth kind of thing. Like his mom, his mom had been a midwife, brings babies into the world. He's doing the same thing by bringing this truth out into your awareness or your understanding. Um, and so it requires the teacher to do that. But Plato actually says your experiences can do it too. 
uh, so that you actually have experiences with oh, the world and it can also have that same kind of effect. So it's almost, it's not like he's like full blown, you know, everything is ideal or that he's radically against sense, the use of sense perception. It's almost like he's just prioritizing. Yeah. And Plato's idea. not like systematic, at least how we think about it, by the way, um, Augustine quotes Romans one twenty, and he says, look, if you can, through the things that are made, come to know yeah. the unseen God, like you have to be able to access this, this this invisible reality which is god and all the angels all that kind of stuff through your body so i think this whole chapter is really interesting like it's how, how do how do you, how does he and how do we come to know god like there's an ascent of our soul up to god but obviously our bodies on earth and, and those things are not split asunder there's a resurrection of the body as well and i think he's he's much more ground even though he uses the, the neoplatonic language of ascent he's more grounded in christian revelation than the language might imply. I think it's yeah. good language, by the way. I mean, Moses, after all, <laughs> sent it up to the mountain of God to see him. It's like, mm -hmm. this is in the warp and woof of scriptural ideas. Set your minds on, on things above, not on things below. Uh, Paul often talks about the inner and outer man, mm -hmm. uh, the, the earthly things and the heavenly things. This is all throughout the Bible. This is not like some neoplatonic, unbiblical idea. It's language drawn from both scripture and from contemporary language and ideas but i think it's like it's really interesting like romans 120 is really clear through things that are made we can actually see this the eternal power of god and the invisible attributes of him so namely i think you would say his, his ability to his power to create and then providence yeah i mean paul calls it eternal power it's like eternal power what is eternal power like man i can't even you can't wrap your mind around that kind of power eternal power um, yeah, yeah it, it's funny because if we do end up doing a series through uh, parts of uh, Thomas's Summa, right? Thomas is very famous in saying that God or God is known by His effects, <clears throat> and so uh, and then that would be a Romans one twenty. It's kind of a natural law thing, right? And so human beings, however, as, as you just noted, uh, can ask questions. They can observe that the unseen things of God are understood through all that has been made. So even here, it's not. Like there's not like a radical difference between like the more kind of platonic notions within Augustine and then maybe the more Aristotelian notions that are in Thomas, because he's he's making a similar point. Um, it's just that what do you do with those things, right? What do you do mm. with that that knowledge? Um, but yeah, here's the language of ascent, right? In seven eleven, uh, what do I love then when I love my God? Who is that being higher than the highest part of my soul? Almost like you can see, oh, Anselm, this is like Anselm's reading this stuff, you know, and like kind of language of his ontological argument. Uh, it is through that soul of mine that I ascend to him. I shall transcend that force which keeps me attached to my body and saturates its frame with vitality. Not by that force do I find my God, for then a horse and a mule, which have no understanding, could find it. As they have the same force giving uh, to their life bodies too, it is another force, one that does not just make me alive, but also makes me aware of my bodily nature, which God has fashioned for me. He commands the eye not to hear and the ear not to see. Instead, he tells the eye it is for me to see by it and the ear it is for me to hear by it. And one by one, he tells the other senses their appropriate roles according to their proper places and duties. As a single mind, I act through them, though they are all different. Even this force of mine I shall transcend, for the horse and mule possess it too. They too experience sense perceptions by means of their body. So it's like he's talking about like there's the body-soul relation, and you can know things through your sense perceptions, but the soul is what is actually going to ascend to God. Otherwise, we're just left as mere animals. Um, yeah, and, he, and he probably 
you have to like think too like so he, he's already, he's he's about to say the uh, the memory is infinite and it has infinite capacity because it's 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 immaterial it's not circumscribed so when you talk about ascent too like he's not saying your body's walking and then casper the friendly ghost floats up that <laughs> yeah. is, is a mere meadow no. for yeah, yeah. for for that capacity that another that other vitality that connects you to god like if a mule has a body and senses the five senses like we do that's not what allows like that's not the distinguishing mark to know god it has to be something more and that's basically that ability to to know and be aware that you have a bodily nature it's interesting like if you look in the latin i'd be very curious to look at like so it's you know on the top of page 86 if we if for our low latin edition here the latin part of the diglot transibo vim meum uh, quae herio corpori et vitaliter uh, compagum eius repleo uh, i wonder what herio refers to there like the idea of, i think that's the word for attached right so what does he mean by um a, where yeah attached to my body i get to, i don't know that it's in that platonic sense because he's still using like the idea of like god orders sense perception he orders like he says it right after right he's he every like the eye doesn't hear god set all this stuff in order um and so this the soul as he's going to say in 812 you know so i shall transcend even my natural life force and climb in stages to him who made me uh i come to the fields and grand palaces of my memory where there are treasure stores of countless impressions language of impressions there is very important in this whole book um so the soul does this ascent it uses it seems to use sense perception which is physical he's not attached to it i don't think it's an attached like it like he's arguing that you're going to be like separated body and soul there's a detachment in that sense is it an attachment in the more like when you get attached to things right like i am very well, that, attached that's what to... i think because this whole thing he's being brought down by lust and desires and, and you're trying to find it but later he talks about the basically four things that uh can upset your soul because you gotta remember like he's so it's it's the the joy of sin when he takes the pair it's the he's basically addicted to sex so he can't focus on god so i he doesn't obviously say it explicitly here, but given the first nine books, I have to assume that which keeps him attached to the body. It's like basically those earthly things, those things that are the lusts and desires that he yeah. previously. Yes. That's so it's, what not I have to, it's not an attachment like, oh, the body and soul are attached and we want to become detached. I don't think he's saying that. It's almost like a, a desiring kind of attachment that we have to these things. And he's like, no, I want my soul to transcend that. To, to transcend the desires for the earthly things so that i actually meet my true desire which is god yeah i would i have to imagine so especially he's already talked about how you essentially need the body to perceive those things of things of god yeah um i think is there anything else okay so the uh, if you go to book 10 chapter 9 section 16 that's where he talks about the limitless capacity of his memory. That's what I keep alluding to. It's just yeah. interesting. So you know that he's talking about metaphysics, not the biological properties of the brain. Like when we right. think of memory, we often think of our, our brain and neurons. Synapses. Synap he, he maybe would include some limited idea of that, but his right. main thought is there's something beyond the merely physical that memory, that mind, that soul is. And that's because it, we need that element to be able to commune with God who is immaterial as well, because yeah. the, the sensory, I mean, no one's ever seen God, right? Yeah. Like with the, with the eyes, but he still, he does, even though the power, the memory has that infinite capacity, 
there's still limits to his his own knowing, right? Yeah, that's true. I think he's so in yeah, fifteen on the on page ninety three of under fifteen. He says, "Yeah, I love like he, he actually uses we have the language of be, bewilderment." He says, "How great is the power of memory? How exceedingly great! Oh my God, a splendid and inexhaustible heartland. Who has ever penetrated its depths? It is the power of my mind, befitting my nature. Yet even myself, I myself do not fully understand what I am." So he's making this distinction between his memory, which is so vast, like, I don't even understand it. Uh, so uh, is the mind too restricted to appraise itself, forcing the question, where is that part of itself which it just does not understand? Surely it is not outside of the self rather than within the self. So how can it not understand? This evokes all kinds of wonder in me. I am overcome with bewilderment. And then really like, what a, this, this next sentence is just so cool. I underlined it and bracketed it. He says, people go off to marvel at the height of mountains. I'm literally going to go climb a 14er in like a week and a half. <laughs> people go off to marvel at the height of mountains and the great waves of the sea and the broad courses of rivers and the flow of the ocean and the circuits of the stars, but they neglect themselves. And, uh, and he's going to say, like, to, we actually have to turn inward to be able to understand the outward. Like we look, he's like, I'm concerned. What are my two questions? I want to know God and the soul. Because as you look into the soul and as you're the image of God, you actually learn things about God by looking inside us. That's why no wonder Philip Carey talks about Augustine's invention of the inner self. Like he's the guy yeah. that does this for us, you know, dude, um, it is one twenty-five. I got class in like 15 minutes. I gotta go. We can stop here because this is a good introduction to the chapter. Basically it's the end of a story. He's talking about memory. How, how does, how does someone, how does he, how did he come to know God at a more higher level in the narrative, how we can, I should, I don't know if I maybe already said this, but it's, it's worth repeating that like, Augustine is still praying to God. This whole book is a prayer. Right. Yeah. Like he, he's having a conversation that, you know, you, he says the second person pronoun you to God. He's thinking about how people might judge him for his confessions, but he's still praying to God and talking about this. Um, it just as a, as a side note, like it, it, it might be worth just reflecting on like how to improve your prayer life by thinking like he talks to God as a, as a father. Mm -hmm. he, like you think about like God as our father, you just to pray. He's just doing it. Like he's talking to God, like, as a very wise father and talks to all these questions and issues and he's and going deep he's going he's deep using, he's using the full capacity of his mind not neglecting not neglecting himself yeah unlike you you're going to this mountain you'll forget your own soul it's gonna be crazy meanwhile i'll stay in this basement and just just look inward so <laughs> <laughs> all right sounds good see you next time see you man